kan. You can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. That uh, is on page 855 in the black Bibles under your chairs, if you happen to be at a chair that has one of them. Looking at Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, appropriate, I thought, for Pentecost Sunday. Not that we have some strict regulations that we have to celebrate these days, but I can be sometimes a helpful time to remind us of things that we are prone to neglect. So we're looking at, looking at Acts chapter 2, um, but before we look at that text, I just want to give us a little bit of background and a little bit of context, just to try to put us back in the shoes um, of the people on that day, on the day of Pentecost. So uh, imagine this scenario, if you will. If today was the day of Pentecost, back in the day, uh, it's called Pentecost because it came 50 days after the Passover. And so if you were thinking back 50 days ago, that would be April 4th, okay? So if you remember back to April 4th, we would imagine that would have been the Passover feast. And what happened at this particular Passover feast is that this great prophet, the one many thought would be king, Jesus, Jesus was crucified. He was brutally murdered by his very own people, and people thought he was going to be king, but their hopes were dashed just 50 days ago. But then Jesus rose from the dead, and he was seen and talking to his apostles, and we're told um, in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to actually a crowd of 500 people at one time, and Acts 1-3 tells us that after Jesus rose, for the next 40 days, he kept teaching about the kingdom of God. And he was teaching his disciples, he was teaching crowds of up to 500 people. Forty days Jesus was teaching. But then, just ten days ago, so just this, the last Thursday, when we actually had a particularization service, ten days ago, Jesus, he ascended into heaven. He was on a mountain with his disciples, and he rose off, never to be seen again. And so then what Jesus said to his close friends and disciples who were with them, he said, I'm going to my father, but I want you to go back to Jerusalem and wait there until my father sends you the promise from on high, after which you will be my witnesses, after which forgiveness of sins by repentance and faith will be proclaimed in my name to all the nations. But first go to Jerusalem and wait. And so that's what they did. The disciples, they went to Jerusalem and they were in an upper room. And we're, we're told in Acts chapter 1 that these people were with one accord devo devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So there's actually a bigger collection than just Jesus' 12 apostles here. There's 120 people, we're told, and it includes women. It even includes Jesus' own mom. They're all waiting in Jerusalem, and they've been here for 10 days, every day, praying together, praying together. And now it's the day of Pentecost, or to them as Jews, the Feast of Weeks. There were three really important feasts in the Jewish religious life. The first one was Passover, which they had celebrated 50 days ago. And this one was now the Feast of Weeks, which was a celebration of the start of the wheat harvest, right? Wheat, a very important crop for bread. And they, it was to give thanks to God, saying, you're providing for us once again. These first fruits, the grain has come. And they were, all the men in the whole nation were to come to Jerusalem. So they're coming. There's crowds of Jewish men all over the place, coming from wherever they've been living, to celebrate this feast. 
And so Christ's disciples are in the upper room. The nations of Jews are gathered in Jerusalem, and they're waiting like Jesus told them to. And it's been 10 days since he went away. And then it's today, the day of Pentecost, where we read in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews, proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, saying, They're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy." And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. This is really a wild scene. If you can imagine this group of 120 people they all start talking in different languages. And the crowd of Jews all around are hearing them talking in their own languages from their own lands, and they understand them. And what are they hearing them say? Well, we're told. They were hearing them telling the mighty works of God. Each one of these 120 people that Luke, the author, is careful to point out includes men and women, even Jesus' mom, they're all talking about the mighty works of God. And the crowd asks, what does this mean? Clearly, they're like, this is a wild thing. What does it mean? What's going on? And Peter tells us exactly what he thinks is going on. 
exactly what he knows to be going on. He says simply, this is Joel chapter 2. It's obviously Joel chapter 2. Because God's spirit has been poured out and his sons and daughters are prophesying. God's male servants and his female servants are all prophesying because that's what happens when the spirit is poured out. You see, Peter sees this spirit-empowered prophetic activity as the sign that God has poured out his spirit. And this is one of the most significant aspects of Pentecost. It's that through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, both men and women, young and old, really every believer in Jesus is empowered to practice a prophetic ministry. That is, to declare the mighty works of God. And my contention today is that part of the great blessing of Pentecost is what you might call the prophethood of all believers. Uh, you, might, you might be familiar with the Reformation concept of the priesthood of all believers, how um, we've all been made um, not official, real priests, but priest-like in function in that we can bring our own prayers to God. We can go to him directly in Jesus. But there's also what we could call the prophethood of all believers. And a couple clarifications at the start are probably helpful because words like prophet and prophecy and prophetic, um, they have these really big, wild connections for us. So I think it's helpful if we can distinguish between what I might call capital P prophecy, prophet, versus what we could call lowercase p prophecy, prophets. Okay, so if we're thinking uppercase, this is an official office that was given the ability to receive direct revelation from God, also to be able to foretell future events. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about lowercase p prophecy, which is to speak words from God based on his revealed truth to his people, or to declare the praises of God, the mighty works of God, on behalf of his people to God. The reformers, they used the term prophecy to refer to ordinary preaching. William Perkins' famous book was called The Art of Prophesying. They recognized that this lowercase p prophecy continues among the people of God as we speak God's word to one another. And so I want us to look at two aspects of what it means as a spirit-empowered people to continue living in this fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. Men and women, young and old, declaring the mighty works of God, engaging in prophetic ministry, which we'll see later includes what I'm calling the ministry of praise and the ministry of encouragement. We're, we're going to trace this theme from the Old Testament to the New and then look at how we might apply it in our day. So turn with me uh, to the Old Testament. If you want a place to go, we're not going to look there yet, but you can turn to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11, we'll be there in a little bit. I want us to start by looking at Moses. Now Moses is the great prototypical prophet of the Old Testament. And he gave the word of God to the people of God. A a good example can be seen in Exodus 19.7. Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, 
All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. This is a perfect response of the people. Moses told them things, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So what they're doing here is they're saying, even though these words came out of Moses' mouth, we recognize that they have the authority of God. Moses spoke words from God to the people with God's authority. And Moses was a prophet. But Moses wasn't the only person in his family to engage in a prophetic ministry. Moses' brother Aaron is called a prophet. And actually, Moses' sister Miriam is called a prophetess. Look at, look at what happens right after the Lord delivers Israel through the Red Sea. You remember that story? The waters part, the people go through on dry land, their enemies are destroyed. On the other side of that, once God's done this deliverance, here's what we read in Exodus 15, verse 20. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And the song continues and goes on and on. Here, it seems that Miriam is engaging in a prophetic ministry. Not quite like Moses speaking God's word to the people, but on behalf of the people, declaring the mighty works of God in songs of praise. Declaring this wonderful redemption, praising God for all the good he has accomplished for his people. She erupts in a song of praise and the women join with her in response, in a vocal response to this amazing deliverance God has done. Moses and Miriam both were engaged in a prophetic ministry. But here's the sad thing. It's that not all the Israelites had this sort of spiritually empowered activity. It was, it was uncommon in that day. And here's where we find a story in Numbers chapter 11. This is a really interesting story. So what, what's happening in Numbers chapter 11 is that the people of Israel, uh, there's so many of them, and Moses is the leader, and he has to deal with all the problems. So any dispute someone has, any issue, they are all coming to Moses. And if you were hearing millions of people give you all their complaints, I think you'd be tired too, and he's overwhelmed. And so the solution is, God tells him, he says, if, if you get 70 leaders, 70 elders, I'll give them of the spirit that I've given to you, and with, my help, and with help from my spirit, they'll help you deal with these disputes and judgments. And so this is what actually happens in Numbers eleven twenty four. We're told, So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. He gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, what happened? They prophesied but they did not continue doing it. Now, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, which are just great names. If you're having some twin boys, Eldad and Medad, you can go with that. And the spirit also rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, 
Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. This is Moses' heart for the people of God. Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on each one of them. That's what he wants to see. This is the ideal for Moses. All God's people engaged in a prophetic ministry to speak words from God to God's people like Moses, or perhaps to declare the mighty works and praises of God like Miriam. These are examples, but it was uncommon. Let's consider another example of this sort of prophetic lower P ministry that we're talking about. We see this example in Deborah and in David. Judges 4.4 says that Deborah was a prophetess. Sound familiar? Like Miriam. And she was judging Israel at that time. She's both a judge, and as a judge, she's bringing God's word to bear on the issues and disputes of the people. Like a really good counselor who you bring issues to and they counsel you based on God's word. But she's also a singing prophetess like Miriam. And when God once again works a great deliverance for the people, subdues their enemies, the Canaanites under them, what do we read in Judges 5? But once again, Deborah sings a song of praise, declares the praises of this God who has once again showed up to deliver his people, a singing prophetess. And who might we be reminded of as the greatest singing prophet of the Old Testament? The sweet psalmist David. David is one of the greatest Old Testament prophets as a king. And we have many of his prophetic songs in the scriptures. And here's what he says of his own ministry in 2 Samuel 23.1. We read, these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of a man who was raised on high, and anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. And here's what David says. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. He's saying, these songs I'm singing are the spirit of the Lord speaking by me. And just as Moses had this heart that said, would that all God's people were prophets, King David also has a heart that desires all people to engage in this sort of ministry. He actually calls us to this again and again in the Psalms. Uh, Here's one from Psalm 96, verses 2 to 3. Here's what David says to the church. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. This is what David David envisions. God's people scattered among all the nations, declaring everywhere they go the marvelous works of the mighty salvation of God, declaring everywhere God's wondrous deeds. This is his all-encompassing vision, a world filled with these spiritually empowered little p prophets declaring God's glory and marvelous works. But this vision is never realized under the old covenant. Israel horribly fails at going out to the nations and declaring God's mighty works. Why why is this? Why don't they ever truly really succeed in seeing the blessing of Abraham spread to all the nations? 
It's because they didn't have the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Yes, all Old Testament saints, if they had true faith, only had so by the work of the Spirit of God in their hearts. The Spirit was with them, but not the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's like the difference between a faucet and a waterfall. The empowering of the Holy Spirit's presence is what's needed to fulfill Moses' vision of all God's people having the Spirit and all God's people being prophets and David's desire that all God's people would sing forth and declare God's glory among the nations. They needed Pentecost. The, The prophets uniformly testify to this vision. Ezekiel, Isaiah, they're all looking for a day when the Spirit of God is poured out from on high. And the most prominent among these is what Peter picks up from Joel chapter 2. That afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And Peter adds, and they will prophesy. The foretold work of the spiritual outpouring to come was going to be seen in the empowering of God's people for the work of this prophetic ministry, a ministry like Moses and Miriam, a ministry like David and Deborah. My male and female servants will prophesy, God says. And this is the prophecy fulfilled at Pentecost. These 120 disciples, which Luke is careful to point out, includes the women, all declaring the mighty works of God miraculously in different languages, but yet doing an ordinary work, declaring the mighty works of God. And this really, this connection we see between the spiritual outpouring and these lips of declaration actually go all throughout the book of Acts. So we see this here in Acts 2, but we also see in Acts chapter 10, where Peter is sharing the gospel with the Gentiles, and here's what happens. It says, Um, that the Holy Spirit falls on them, and then the believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, and here's how they knew that. They were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. That's how they knew the Spirit was poured out. They were speaking in languages and extolling God. That was the evidence of spiritual outpouring. And again in Acts 19, verse 6, we read about the believers in Ephesus that when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, declaring the mighty works of God. Luke consistently brings out this connection between the Spirit's outpouring and these words of prophetic utterance. This is the flowering of Moses' vision. Would that all God's people were prophets, that they had the Spirit of God residing in them. And so why would we spend time tracing this history, looking at Moses and Miriam and Deborah and David, and looking at how this keeps happening in the book of Acts? I've spent time tracing this because I want each of you to understand that there is an inestimable privilege to living under the new covenant in a time of the Spirit's outpouring. And that this is amazing that believers in Jesus have received a spiritual empowerment to have tongues and lips loosened to declare the mighty works of God. It's what Moses was looking forward to, what David was looking forward to. All the fathers of the faith never saw this day. To have 
received the Holy Spirit, which is for everyone who has trusted in Jesus has been filled with the Spirit. To have been filled with the Spirit is to have been empowered to speak, to declare the mighty works of God, to exercise a prophetic ministry. This isn't a gift only for a few. It's a calling for all. Just as um, some are particularly gifted in generosity, yet we're all called to be generous. Some are particularly gifted in speaking and in preaching and teaching um, or sharing words of encouragement, but this is a ministry that the Bible is careful to say is one for each one of us. And so if you are a Christian, this little p prophetic ministry is for you. It's available for you and you're called to exercise and walk in it. And so that brings us then to application. What should this prophetic ministry look like for us as Christians in a local church? How do we live out Joel 2? Well, I want to say that the Spirit's empowered us to engage in two types of prophetic ministry. There's more, but I want to draw your attention to two. What I'll call the ministry of praise and the ministry of encouragement. First, the ministry of praise. Now, those filled with the Spirit in Acts 2 are said to be declaring the mighty works of God. We saw David, he repeatedly is calling God's people in the Psalms to declare God's mighty works in songs of praise. Both Miriam and Deborah, they always responded to God's works of deliverance with songs of praise. And therefore, one aspect we see tied to this idea of prophetic ministry throughout Scripture is the praise of God in song. Whether it's in prayers or songs itself, the praises of God. And here's, a, here's the interesting thing about praise. You can only truly praise something that you find to be actually praiseworthy. There's no way to really fake praise. If it's not coming from a heart that finds something praiseworthy, it's basically just a lie. Um, a, a week or two ago, uh, my wife and I were spending time with our nieces and nephews, and they wanted us to watch this kids' show with them. So we watched the episode of some kids' show, and at the end, they were like, didn't you love it? Wasn't that the best show ever? And I wasn't too enthused with the show. I didn't think it was that great. And so I, I knew I couldn't lie and say, of course, that was the greatest show. I, I said something like, I think that was a great way for kids to learn science or something like that. And in my heart, I couldn't praise the show because I didn't find it praiseworthy. But to my nieces and nephews, they were astounded by this show and they loved it and could sing its praises. And so it is as Christians, you never truly praise God unless you actually are finding him praiseworthy. It's only the person that actually finds God wonderful that can truly say, God, you are awesome. You are wonderful. You are worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. To see God as glorious and then to praise him gloriously can only come from the work done in a heart that finds God glorious. And we know that naturally, none of us does see God as beautiful and glorious. Our eyes are naturally darkened. Our hearts are naturally hard. And therefore, we require a mighty transformative work in the, of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see the beauty of God that we might, for the first time in our lives, actually give God praise 
from a sight of his praiseworthiness. Don't, don't lose the significance of how incredible it is to be someone that truly praises God. That is a privilege not many in this world have received, to truly see God as praiseworthy and give him the honor and thanks that he deserves. This is one of the major reasons Christ died. Three times in Ephesians chapter 1, we're told that the reason God redeemed us, delivered us from sin, is that we might live to the praise of God's glorious grace. To praise God, that our lives should be to the praise of his glory. This is an incredible calling, and to engage in this ministry of praise is a spiritually empowered work. It can only be a work of God's Spirit within you. It's a wonderful privilege. And so if we want to be people that engage in this ministry of praise, what are some ways that we can practically apply this? Here's just a few thoughts that might be helpful to you as we think of this individually. The first is that you want to be you want to ensure that praise and thanksgiving is always a part of your prayer life. Before you go to God with requests, it's a good idea to go to him with praises and thanksgivings. And if you're wondering what sorts of things it's helpful to thank and praise God for, I find it really useful to use three terms as a rubric. Um, God's mighty works that we're to praise him for are most found in what we could call his works of creation, that is the goodness of this world we experience, his works of redemption through Jesus, everything he's done to reconcile us to God, and thirdly, his works of renewal. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, transforming us, recreating this world, and that day when it will be fully renewed in a new heavens, a new earth. We can always praise and thank God, despite our life circumstances, for his works of creation, redemption, and renewal. Another thought is that if you have the habit of praying before meals and giving thanks for the food, actually thank God. Don't just say words robotically, but actually make sure your heart is truly giving God thanks for the blessings and provisions that you feel around your table. Actually thank God. And lastly, it can be very helpful to utilize recorded praise music to help you praise God yourself. Sometimes our hearts need a helping hand. And just like in the past, Christians often used prayer books in order to have words pre-made that they could pray along with. So today, songs of praise are like sung prayer books that we can join our minds with that can help us not get distracted. And so use praise music to assist you in cultivating your own life of praise. We're called to praise God and minister this way individually, but the primary place where we practice this prophetic ministry of praise is in our corporate worship. We read Ephesians, uh, Colossians chapter 3 about letting the word of Christ dwell among us richly. And a parallel text is in Ephesians 5.18, which says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And what might being filled with the Spirit look like among us? It looks like this, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying the evidence of our spiritual filling is that we are a singing people, singing to one another and to the Lord, and he's careful to point out, with your heart. With your heart. That is, our hearts, our affections, our deepest selves are to be engaged in our singing to God. If you ever watch um, stadium soccer, 
and you know that the fans love to sing. And they don't just sing quietly, they sing full out, red-faced, because they are so passionate about these songs they're singing, whether to encourage their, their team or what have you. And we are called to have our whole selves, all our hearts, engaged in the praises that we sing to God. It's totally inappropriate for Christian worship to be soft and mousy. How would that make any sense when we consider the heights and the greatness of the one we praise? And we, some worry about what they might call emotionalism. Uh, emotionalism is where you stir up your heart's affections with no truth content. There's nothing that those hearts are attaching to. But if we're singing truth from the word of God about God, then it is perfectly appropriate for the heart's affections to be stirred up and connect to the truths that we're singing, at which point God loves that our hearts are engaged in praise. God actually doesn't want anything less than our hearts engaged in his praise. What did he condemn the Pharisees for? He said, they draw near with their lips only, but their hearts are far away from me. Our hearts are to be engaged in this ministry of prophetic praise. That's why we need spiritual empowerment for it, because we can't do this naturally. We need the Spirit of God purchased by the work of Christ to empower us to truly see God as the beautiful God he is and respond in a way of appropriate praise. That's what God is calling us to, to practice the Spirit-empowered ministry of praise together in our corporate worship. We're to be a passionate singing people, a voluminous singing people. The ministry of praise, but secondly, we're called in the empowerment of the Spirit to practice a prophetic ministry of encouragement. One of the important texts here is 1 Corinthians 14 in verses 1 to 3, which tells us as a church this, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. The one who prophesies, okay, here's what Paul says prophecy is, if you're confused about it. One who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who prophesies builds up the church. That's what Paul says this lowercase p prophetic ministry simply is. It's the sort of speech that builds up God's people, encourages God's people, and comforts and consoles God's people. And what's the only type of language that can truly do this? It's words that are based on the truth of God as revealed in Scripture to us. To speak to one another this way, to encourage one another this way, is to practice the prophetic ministry of encouragement. And when the New Testament uses language to tell us how we should speak to one another, the most common word it uses is this idea of encouragement. The Greek word is parakaleo, which means to, to call forward or to summon. And so when we're thinking of encouraging one another, the idea is that we're calling each other forth, calling each other further, calling each other higher, on in faith. So you might have used language like, yeah, you know, I just I encouraged him to do the right thing. That is, you called that person forth to obey God. Or, I encouraged her just to put her trust in Christ. Or, I, I just encouraged them to always remember that God keeps his word. We're to have words of encouragement flowing among us. Hebrews 3.13 says that we're to encourage one another every day that we not fall into sin. Hebrews 10.25 calls us to encourage one another to love and good deeds. 
And Colossians 3.16, we saw, calls us to encourage one another with the word of Christ. And so, as part of the body of Christ, you have an obligation to every other part of the body to use your words for the building up and good of the people of God, to engage in a lowercase p prophetic ministry for upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation based on your words. And maybe you're thinking, well, I, I don't know. Like, I don't have any theological education. I don't know that much. I'm not very good with words. I'm not sure God could really use me to be that sort of prophetic encourager to others. That sounds a bit out of my league. Well, it's actually much more simple than you think. When Peter writes to the church, he says, I want to stir you up by constant reminder. That is, we don't need to learn something new, but we very often need to be reminded of things we quickly forget. And we often forget the simple truths. What is the refrain that pops up repeatedly and repeatedly throughout the book of Psalms? It's that the Lord is good and his steadfast love lasts forever. Don't you need to be reminded of that every day? God is good, his steadfast love lasts forever. No matter your education or background, I need to hear from you every day. Hey, JC, just remember, God is good and his steadfast love never ends. What an encouragement that would be if we could just even get that. Or, or the basic two great commandments. We need to be reminded every day to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Maybe, maybe you just need to learn to be the God is good person. Every Bible study, whatever anyone will say, you're saying, yeah, but let's just remember God is good and we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. Be the love your neighbor person. Be the love God with all your heart person. Be the God is good person. And so participate in this prophetic ministry of encouragement that we're all called to. And the Holy Spirit has equipped us to do this. And even though, though it's just these small human words, by the Spirit of God, he uses these words of truth to go deep into our hearts and to transform us. He's empowered us to this ministry. And we practice these ministries of praise and encouragement. We practice it individually. We practice it corporately together. We practice it in our families as we sing to God together, as parents encourage their children in the faith. We practice this Outside these walls, in the world, in our workplaces, imagine if we were filled with this prophetic ministry that just our lips were always ready to declare the mighty works of God. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people got saved. If we were just people ready to say, here's what God has done for my soul. Come and hear what God has done to rescue us. What an effect there could be. Who knows what the Spirit of God can do. This is an amazing ministry that each of us who have trusted in Christ have received. But the question is, why has this ministry come to such as us? We know we're weak. We know we're sinful. We know we're fragile. And so why would God entrust this spiritually empowered ministry to us who are just little clay pots? It's all the result of the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, when he died, for the forgiveness of sins, that's not where it stopped, but he rose, he defeated death, he conquered sin, and he, remo he, remo he removed any excuse for not sending the Spirit to us. 
and he rose and is sitting at God's right hand on his throne. And the reason he accomplished all that work was to rise and to continue by pouring out his spirit. As the greater prophet than Moses, Jesus had it also in his heart. Jesus' cry in his earthly ministry was, would that all God's people were prophets and had the Spirit of God within them. God, Jesus wanted you so much to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to know the praiseworthiness and beauty of the Heavenly Father, that he took on human form and died and bled and was tortured and was removed from his Father, that he might rise so that this could be our ministry that we could know God as praiseworthy, that we could know the encouragement and consolation of the Holy Spirit, not having just a trickle, but now an outpouring, not just for some previous priestly class or a few prophets, but every son and every daughter, men and women. He says, my male and my female servants, they will all prophesy. This isn't a spirit, Christianity isn't limited to a few special people, to one ethnicity, to one gender, to one education level, but it comes to each one who's willing to receive to trust Christ for salvation and say, God, I am yours. Use me as you will. Open my lips and let them praise you evermore. Take my hands, take my feet. Use all I am and have for your glory. You don't need only a preacher to tell you the words of God. You can look at them for yourself. You don't need only a preacher to pray to God for you. But the prophethood of all believers means that each one of you can know God's word, can speak God's word for spiritual profit and truly pray to God and praise him from a renewed heart. Because if you are a Christ-trusting, spirit-filled Christian, then you have been empowered for a prophetic ministry, which as we've seen is the ministry of praise and the ministry of encouragement. So let's practice this. Join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, your grace to us is so much more than we deserve Lord, that you would use uh, these clay vessels, these sinful people, that you would wash us and purify us and cleanse us is amazing, but that even more you would fill us and empower us to actually serve in this world, to actually give an offering of praise to the king of the universe, to actually be used to see your church built up in the faith. Lord, what a tremendous, tremendous privilege to work alongside you in your kingdom knowing that you have done all, and it is just a joy to be able to participate as part of the body of Christ. We pray for more fillings of the Holy Spirit. We pray for greater freedom in our tongues, greater courage in our hearts, and greater love flowing among us that you would be building up a church to carry the word of Christ in this world. And we pray, Lord, that all this ministry would be from a place of forgiveness for your glory, empowered by your spirit. And we pray this all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.